How do you want to start? Do you want to start with just an introduction or do you want to just jump right into it? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just start. I think that will also going to be in the recording. I, I, I just want to tell you, Adam, that if, if we're going to make it a thing, if it's going to be a podcast, if we ever have a tune that starts the podcast. So that was, that, that was actually going to be my first question. So tell me now. <laughs> now my, so here, here's my idea of this. Is, is you're gonna, I was going to ask you what song you were listening to this week. <laughs> and that would be the intro for the podcast every week. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it will happen one day. Uh, you know, I just uh, I've submitted a session to the Being Human track in mm -hmm. Drupal. So basically, I'd say everything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Things I didn't believe. I mean, I've been talking about empathy in presentations, uh, obviously from the wrong directions. Uh, but uh, anyway, may maybe one day we'll have a tune. I don't know. Let me, Today. let me grow into that. Today we'll just yeah. jump right into it. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so let's just start and we'll wing it. Sounds good. So I, I, I wanted to start with the story of the, um, of the $1.6 million sale because I think that's, that's interesting and uh, I want to hear you tell it and then we can, we can ask some questions about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a long story. I'll, I'll, I'll start by making it shorter and then we can, uh, and then we can advance. So basically, um, in the past few years, I mean, everybody knows about Gizra, but we actually have uh, another thing that we're running. And it, it, it wasn't running in, on high flames, let's say. It's like it was kind of, of, of low thing called Circuit Auction, which is basically our product. It's an entrepreneur project. Yet another entrepreneur project that we've been doing, and one uh, and 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 a big difference between this and the other entrepreneur project is that we're not just losing money. Uh, we're not earning money yet, but we're not just losing money. So it's a big difference for us, uh, and it's basically a product for uh, auction houses. You know, the going one, going twice kind, uh, and I somehow found we somehow found ourselves deep deep knee deep in the stamp world stamp collections and coin collections and whatnot really tedious lots of information but lots of money there and technological wise it's pretty interesting and so we have the system and like every good system you need to rewrite it this is my true belief you need to rewrite things three times in order to start getting it right not even getting it right so basically we wrote uh, the application for the first time, we rewritten re re it, and now we kind of rewrite it for the two and a half or the third time. And there was a sale still on the old application, actually. Uh, and those sales, I'm completely unaware of, because basically, up until recently, I was not connected to that that much to that project. Brice has is, is been uh, handling uh, uh, most stuff. But I knew there, there was supposed to be a sale. That's it. Just because I know there's uh, always like a possibility of crisis mode because everything can go wrong. And as it is, things are going wrong. So that, that client suffered once from Amazon S3 crashing on the sale day. 
and uh, suffering from a few years ago where Pantheon, their DNS stuff were crashing. So basically there's always a crisis mode that, they are, that we are ready. And well, again, I don't care. Brice is taking or, of everything. And it was like 10 minutes to seven, which is basically means I'm on my car on my way uh, practicing that day. And I get a call from Brice and I never get a call from Brice just because, you know, many, many years ago, we even never talked about it. It's like, I won't call you. You don't call me. If we're calling each other, this means... It's a big problem, somebody, man. Yeah, if somebody is really dead or somebody is really alive. I don't know, something is happening. Like, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's always pretty stressful to get a phone call from him in the, in the evening. And... I never pick up the phone like in the middle of, 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 of the road, but I was like, there was a red sign. So, okay, I call him, I put him on speaker and then listen, I need to turn left in order to go to the practice or I can do a U-turn right now. Like, what's the problem? What did something crash? And he goes, no, no, nothing crashed, but are you in front of the computer? And I'm saying, no, I'm not in front of your computer. And he tells me, well, you should cause the sale right now just went over $1 million. So apparently there was an item uh, by professor, uh, a note that Professor Einstein wrote. Uh, and it's a nice story. He was in Japan in 1920 in Tokyo and he was in a hotel and apparently the story tells that he didn't have uh, change for the bellboy. So he told him, I don't know in what language, he told him, listen, I'm gonna write you, uh, I'm gonna write you two notes. One day those notes, uh, would worth more money than, than my change. And he wrote it like a German note over there. And, 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 and the note, uh, one of the notes said something like, uh, in order to have a, a, a good life, you should pursue, like the, the way of pursuing happiness is not by pursuing uh, uh, the money and you know, having, having, a, 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 having a calm life. So that item was for sale. Sorry, go ahead. It was that that's just an excuse for being cheap, right? Like I don't have any money, so but you have <laughs> laughter, so that's fine. Exactly. Something I mean somehow don't ask me why how exactly that note ended up being in an auction. And when you go to an auction, there's always like the starting price that was two thousand dollars, and there's always like the estimated price. Uh, you know, just to give people some idea of how much uh they should spend it's not like it's not uh, it's not carved in stone but it's basically some estimation and the estimation was five thousand to eight thousand and as we know it, it ended up as one uh one million six one million six hundred thousand uh, dollars and i always like to think that there's some schmuck who didn't read the note or didn't completely understand it <laughs> and paid a fucking one million six hundred thousand dollars and and you tell us you know i think that that person for him buying a one million six thousand dollars piece is probably like for you going out and you know maybe not buying a coffee but buying a nice shirt probably like anyone to, who anyone who's buying notes for 1.6 million dollars has a little bit to spend yeah yeah um so it was really exciting, um, just because it's one point, yeah, like over a million dollars. Um, I can say that I became more of a believer in the product since then. <laughs> Actually, it's like correlated with, with other efforts that we are doing right now. And 
basically Greece and me are now very invested in that company because, you know, for all the right reasons, this is, uh, this is kind of the next thing uh, for us. Like uh, we have Gizra, this is the sales provider. There's nothing startup-y or entrepreneurial about it. It's just, you know, what's producing uh, the money and the salaries and it's super interesting, but there's also this, this thing that for us after almost 10 years in being service providers suddenly having our own product that we can have retainers and stuff like that is is pretty exciting and basically we're using everything that we've learned in the past 10 years and we just you know cramp everything and i'm really happy about the 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 the, the new platform that we've built it's like it's not perfect will never be perfect and we know it we're very unpurist we're very pragmatic but there's some beautiful things going on there with, you know, headless Drupal 7 and with Elm and Pusher and serverless. So it's pretty exciting. Well, let's talk for a second about, I, I do want, I want to talk about Drupal 7 and, and Drupal 8 yeah. and Elm and Haskell and whatever. But, but for, for a second, let's talk a, a little bit about the, the lessons that you learned. Because you said you've really applied the things that you've learned over the last 10 years onto to this project. But I also feel like from having talked to you about this before and, and from reading the blog post about it, that some of the things that you learned over the past 10 years really crystallized in the, in this process and you're taking, you're taking something from it and, uh, and moving forward. So what's that? I don't think it's necessarily just what's that, that one thing. I think in a, it's an accumulation of many, many things. Um, this is usually the part when I'm starting to talk about the Gizra way, and I always mention that the Gizra way is not just a marketing slogan. It is a marketing slogan, but it, it's not just that. And, and I think, and I, if you don't mind, I will quote myself from time to time. Like even some uh, years ago, I remember in DrupalCon Austin, I was telling people that, you know, the Gizro way, it's, it's not just the Git book that we have, which is very non-exhaustive. It's just, you know, starting to give some, some essence. For me, it's really about knowing what's right or what's the right, the most right way to, to do something by a set of simple rules that you usually kind of have a good gut feeling about it. Like it's so, engraved in your DNA that you really know where to go. It's not necessarily the best solution, like who said that Drupal 7 or Drupal 8 or whatever, that's the best solution. That, that's, that's the right solution for a set of, 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 different, uh, of different problems. But basically, I, whenever somebody is asking me, you know, how we're, uh, or even if they don't ask me, that's just what I talk about. <laughs> No matter what you'll tell me, whatever IT project, technological project, I will tell you the technology, the, the technology is not the problem. Period, exclamation mark. Whatever sign you want to put there, it's never the problem. It's always, what's the business and what's the, you know, who are the people, what's the psychology there? That's it. And now you take your talent for, uh, you know, writing uh, uh, IT projects and make sure that you're, you're doing them that you're doing them right. And one of the things that, a lot of the things that I know, the things that we know, we know it not by reading, we know it by doing so many freaking mistakes. So, so many, even, you know, even in, in this circuit, in this application, like 
till a few months ago, we had a really tight, uh, a really tight deadline, which I'm super proud to say that we've never met, like every good company, we just didn't. And we were really chasing it and we had, you know, we were throwing like five developers, some really hardcore front end, some hardcore back and everybody was doing everything. And in the end, it was just a hot mess of things. So we didn't reach the deadline. It was, a deadline is a deadline. You either miss it or you hit it. That's, that's life. I'm really happy, you know, to yeah. show exactly of uh, how, we, how we are there. And one of my uh, understandings, and you know, so many understandings are so stupid. You just say them and they sound so natural is don't rush into anything. <laughs> I mean, it's so stupid. But Just still, before you start rushing into something. Exactly, but you know, that's, that's like, that's how it is. Cause you know, yeah, we need to, you, we really need to uh, hit that deadline. We must do it. Otherwise everything will go wrong and we must put all the effort. It's only when you look backward to say, you know what, it, it would have been better if instead of, you know, throwing five people chasing it like crazy, let just, and all of them were great, right? Don't get me wrong, super, super developers. It was the situation that was wrong. And since then, like, so I said, okay, everybody like, you know, let's, let's put one person, one and a half person. And one of the things that I really like about the tempo that we have in the project, and it's actually what, what I'm saying is like, it, it will sound that it slowed down. It's actually moving really fast cause it's one person that knows exactly back to front, exactly what's going on. It happens to be, to be that I'm that one person, but there are other projects that we are now, that we are now uh, uh, following that, that same technique. And there's something that I really like that happens is when I hit something and I know, again, I have another very tight deadline and this one I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail it, okay? We're gonna nail it. But whenever we have a big problem, whenever I have, I'm facing a big problem, I know that the best thing to do right now would completely leave that problem and address it in two hours, three hours the next day. Something about letting things sink, make sure that you know, I'm not losing the time of you know, the eight hours of writing it, the eight hours figuring what the bug is, the eight hours of fixing it. I'm just getting in right after four hours. So again, there are a lot of different, a lot of different ideas, but basically I would say, and this is something, I mean, we all know is a project takes time. It needs time to, to mature. It take, needs time to cook in the right temperature in the right time. Yeah. Uh, so. We, yeah. we, we had a, as you know, we, we had a similar situation in, a, in another project that we were doing, this um, Ihangani project, um, yeah. which maybe we'll talk about on another podcast. But um, it, it made me think a lot about, you know, how to, how to make that into a procedure because we had a very, a very rigid sprint schedule for that. And, you know, it, it worked actually fairly well for, we had a, a three-part sprint schedule for an MVP really well defined I mean it had to be well defined we, we were working on it for for a year um, and you know we got to sprint three and we had kicked so many of the really complex issues down the road that you know we stopped and we said you know we're really not going to be able to, to to figure this out in any meaningful way unless we 
approach this a little bit differently. You know, we, we, we talked with the client about scheduling a little bit and it was not, not a problem, but we did, you know, did exactly that same thing. And, you know, it, it was entirely successful and you had one person who was really sort of understanding all of the issues from the butt front to the back to everything in between. And it made a, a complex mess much more simple, um, at least in terms of how we, we, we understood it. It made me think, should we have done that at the beginning? I'm not sure we should have because we couldn't have done, we couldn't have understood all the problems from the beginning. Or is that something that we should do in the middle or is it the end? I don't, I don't know yet, but I know that the process was really good. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, again, uh, looking, uh, looking backwards, uh, hindsight, how do you say, hindsight. When we started that project, it was, uh, maybe you want to tell a bit about the project or some other time? How, how do you want to do it? Yeah, well, we can, we can, so basically it's a, it's an electronic medical records application that's used by a nonprofit organization um, doing work in Africa with mothers with HIV. And the idea behind it is that through counseling and charting the growth of their children, they can prevent the transmission of the virus from um, themselves to their, their child. Amazing success rate, and this application is helping them chart it electronically, show it to the mothers electronically, um, and do it under adverse conditions, meaning low bandwidth, no bandwidth, um, things like that. Exactly, and, and I'll just tell a bit the, the, technic, the, the, the technical history of it. Uh, and, and then it's actually going to answer what, what, what you're saying. Or I don't even if, if know if it was a question, but it's really it's something that we've learned along the way. So we indeed got like an M, uh, like we decided to go for a really like, it's not an MVP, it was a proof of concept. We basically got like a 20 pages uh, of PDF were really, really great. I remember because after 15, 20 minutes, I really understood what needs to be done there. It was like, it, it, it wasn't written, it was just, some silly wireframe, but it was really, really clear. And at the time I was, it was one year ago exactly, I think, that I, I went to Drupal, uh, Drupal Camp in Tokyo. And for the list, uh, listeners at home, if you would like to invite me to Tokyo again, I'm, more, I'm really looking forward. Uh, it, it was like, it was a Drupal Camp Japan. They invited me, it was one day camp. And I remember telling my wife, listen, I was invited for one day for Drupal Camp, so see you in a week. And basically I flew for one week, it was beautiful. So on my flight there, and on the flight back, and I think four more hours that you and me work on that, basically, you know, we took Drupal Elm Starter, which is basically, again, headless Drupal with some Elm going on. And we threw a really quick proof of concept. It was, uh, as Trump says, it was beautiful. But that was, that was it. It was proof of concept. And our mistake was that we actually built, continu continued building on the proof of concept, missing two things. First, it was proof of concept. So a lot of things were cheating. Uh, we were cheating. Like, it wasn't everything was well connected to the backend, but more importantly, not everything was well thought of. We don't need to think about everything, but there were some crucial things that we didn't think of. So basically, again, the foundations were not good enough. We rushed things in, we threw developers in, we realized that's not the way to go. There are two ways from there. Continue with, with the mistake, 
or say, tell yourself, hey, we've done a mistake and change what we've done. And that's actually what we've done. Said, okay, we've done a mistake. It's not right. Let's take everybody out. We've asked uh, Ryan, who actually knows really well Elm, and not surprisingly, he knows really well Drupal. And basically, we went with him, and he understood everything that needs to be understood. And then he was able, with one person, uh, to deliver it. And actually, in terms of technology, we, we really had some nice accomplishments there in terms of an Elm application that can work offline, that can capture images, that can upload them, stuff that like, you know, where we had some blog posts ahead of us because there are some really nice accomplishments there. But more importantly is there's always a good chance, I mean, sorry, there's a hundred percent chance that you're doing a mistake <laughs> yeah. when you're building a project. Yeah. And it's always about counting your losses and once you have a mistake, you have to be very honest with yourself and be very decisive about how you're going about it. Sometimes it makes sense to continue with the mistakes yeah. or to a certain extent. And many times it makes sense to stop and again, let things think, sink in and, and decide how to, how to continue forward. And I think one of the, one of the great things there, and, and partly, not partly, a lot, this is an attribute to, of Ryan's personality and the way in which he explains issues and the way in which he investigates issues. Um, at the end, we had a really comprehensive understanding of the technical parts of the application throughout the whole team. Throughout any, anybody who was paying attention to Ryan's investigation now understood what was, was going on. And, and as a result, we actually just yesterday um, had a, a bug. I'm doing air quotes for the listeners at home. Um, yeah. it, and it really was the, the end user did something that they weren't supposed to do and it you know created uh, um, the bad data, let's say. Um, yeah. And we got to that really quickly. That is the kind of issue that would have, if, if it was just you know, patched together in, 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 really quickly, it would have taken us forever to find that. Yeah. But yeah. we understood how all the moving parts work together and it was really quick to find it. Uh, absolutely. And I think it, it, it's, it's also connected and I think this is what differentiates I'm saying in general, not, not just about Tryon, I think all the, all, all the best thing about him, but, but I, I, think, I, I think many good things about uh, our developers in general, we just mentioned the name. I think this is what differentiates uh, a really good developer from just another developer. It's not, not just necessarily the technical skills. <laughs> it's really understanding the big picture and understanding the needs and understanding the budget, right? The budget was a concern over here. Again, listeners at home, if you hear about how we're talking, stopping, doing mistakes, mistakes basically is the synonym of saying uh, we're losing money or we're not earning as much money as we want. So for, for a developer to go in and understand, okay, this, doing this rewrite right now, and we actually did a huge rewrite, Doing a rewrite right now that will cost me 100 hours is actually saving me 200 hours. And I think that's what's doing, differentiating uh, the thing. I think a lot of the people now hear about us talking, for example, about the, the idea of time boxes, how every issue 
that we assign every developer gets, gets a time box. And a time box, it's basically just a checkpoint for us. Like, how do you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Adam, you're an account manager of, of a few projects. How do a developer knows when to bug you? Nobody wants to bug people, right? So, how, hey, uh, I don't know, Mariano, how, how, how are things are going? Should he say, okay, not okay? Like what, it's not unquantifiable, right. Right? right? But if you say, okay, listen, like in six hours, it should be done. If it's not done, that's fine. But at least it's giving you some, some measurement. It's permission, then, permission to nag. Exactly. And, and more than that, I feel that sometimes, you know, I'm now going through some code and I've, I've estimated it in six hours, but I see that I actually need to rewrite the bond. And I know that it's actually gonna take me more. It's gonna take me 12 hours. But it's fine, because yeah. those 12 hours, I know that it's gonna save me 12 hours more. And I, I feel that this is the thing that uh, 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 really turns you into a really good developer, getting your head out of the computer, understanding like what I said in the beginning, the problem is never technical. Maybe a few steps down the road, it's technical. What do they really need? All the validation, all the crazy edge cases nobody cares about. Yeah, avoiding those. That that's you know, and that's one of the things when when I'm working with a, a new developer or a developer I haven't worked with before. That's how I try to explain the the time boxing is that, you know, it's first of all it's permission to interrupt and say you know I'm 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 reached the end, but it's also in a learning point for me as someone who's managing the account that I screwed up like I didn't give this enough enough time and I need to understand why so first of all I can go back to the client and say you know I made a mistake here or or I don't do that again in the future so that you know I'm assigning four hours to a project that really takes 16 and we're losing money for you know the next uh, next next three years instead of it being some sort of you know you should have been done why aren't you done yet um, yeah. And I feel like develop. I, I've never worked anywhere but Gizra, um, but I I think that you know developers come with some damage. Um, you know that they feel like if they haven't completed a task in a certain amount of prescribed hours, there's something wrong with that. I just I just talked uh, with uh, Mariano the other day, and I was asking like, hey, uh, how's go? How is it going? The onboarding and everything, and he told me, yeah, you know, I. I don't have to write any emails. <laughs> like it was a completely <laughs> new, he said, I used to write so many emails. I didn't write for a whole week an email. So yeah, I mean, you spend your time, you, you spend your time elsewhere. Um, yeah. I think in the end, everybody's caring about being productive. If you ask everybody, they want to be productive. I think the biggest difference is the, the big question, what productive is mm -hmm. for me. And I guess for you, productive isn't equal whatever the client wants. No, yeah. it's whatever they really, really need. What's really good for their business, what makes sure that there's longevity in the project and it continues for several years and not for several months. And, 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 that's, and that's being productive, looking at an issue and saying, there's no way I'm gonna do that issue. It's just completely wrong. I'm not gonna do it and I'm gonna put my foot down. Yeah, in the end they're paying the bills. If they're really, really gonna insist, we're gonna find a way. But the way they ask it, when the European Commission asked us to do some really stupid stuff and I was young and I needed the money and we didn't put the foot down. And they literally, like, I did a calculation for them. They spent like a few thousand euros per user on a stupid feature. Yeah. It was wrong. Yeah. It was just wrong.
Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a that's a podcast for another day about how, how to give the client what they what they need, not what they want. Um, exactly. But let's so we need a little clickbait. Um, so let's talk about since we talked about two projects that were um, sort of built on this Drupal Elm starter, which is our Gizra way of doing headless Drupal, um, which uses Drupal seven and RESTful. 1.0 and yeah. um, all of the latest greatest technology that uh, Drupal has has to offer. So um, the year so is 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about why are why not Drupal 8? Why do you hate Drupal 8 so much? I don't I don't have I don't hate Drupal 8. I'd like to say that I have zero feelings both to Drupal 8 and Drupal 7. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been too shy about uh, my thoughts about Drupal 8. At a certain point, I was involved in Drupal core, making sure that entity reference goes in. So at least like it all moves, uh, ma making OG's life, uh, uh, you know, uh, easier. I remember that the last patch that I've created <laughs> was uh, the, day, the day before my twins were born and Two days ago, they celebrated five. <laughs> so it means wow. it was really, really, really many, many moons ago. So basically, I, I, I'd say like uh, my approach to Drupal 7 and Drupal 8, and it's probably very related to two things. Me, uh, you know, going very deep uh, down the rabbit hole of functional programming, which I came across through Elm and Haskell, which is basically without getting into much it's a different uh, paradigm of how you approach, uh, how you approach uh, stuff. And, you know, I'm not a purist, but I can uh, see right now that PHP might not be the best language in the world. It's very productive. I know very well how to do it. There are beautiful sites built with it. With that said, there are better alternatives because, you know, I'm comparing JavaScript to Elm and I say, I, I don't want to touch JavaScript anymore because Elm is just beautiful. I'm able to be super productive, yada, yada, yada. And then I'm looking at Drupal 7 and Drupal 8. And, you know, I'm always advocating for people to, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Don't remain there. If we remain in Drupal 7 forever, like in one year or two years, we're forgotten. Uh, so first of all, we're doing Drupal 8. I mean, uh, the fact that I'm not impressed by that doesn't mean that in terms of business, I'm not using it. You want to say something? Adam? No, I was just saying, tell me about it. I spent the last week untangling a Drupal 8 mess, but yeah. Yeah, yeah a mess can be done in every, in every framework and CMS, uh, regardless uh, of which language it, uh, it was built. My biggest problem with Drupal 7 and Drupal 8 is Drupal 8 is not that different from Drupal 7. You just scratch it a bit and you see Drupal 7 down below. That's one thing. On the other hand, Drupal 8 is very different from Drupal 7. So I need to have all this learning curve and rebuilding all our tools and rebuilding all our knowledge. So, but the question is, what do I gain from it? So if I relearn everything, Okay, and, and, and we, rel we, we have relearned. I mean, I know Drupal 8, I know how to operate it, right? Uh, but what do I gain? That's exactly what I'm asking. And in the end, it all boils down again to budget stuff. 
What do I gain? What, what am I able to do with Drupal 8 that I was not able to do with Drupal 7? And then if I was in DrupalCon right now, five seconds later, we would hear config. <laughs> right, Adam? <laughs> yes. That's what all I struggled right. with for the last week. Yeah, all right, sure, config. But it was never really a problem for me. And it's not that we're building just brochure sites, right? I, I'm not, not going to do all the name dropping, but we've built some pretty complex sites. We've never had big problems that we were not able to deal with. And actually, I'm looking right now at a config language called DAL, D-H-A-L-L. -L. It's by one of the Haskell superstars writing something like that. And it just blows my mind. I love it. I have, you know, zero use cases for, for that, but it looks like the right thing, like exactly the right thing that I said, I tell myself, this is config. This is how config should be done. But even then, it's beautiful, but I, I, I don't need it. So with Drupal 7, what we've actually done is we, we yanked out almost everything we didn't like, and we kept just the thing that we liked. I haven't touched Form APIs for almost four years now, I think. All right. I'm using REST for 1.x, 2.x, it's, it's, it's great. Again, it's, I think this is, uh, you know, Matteo, the, the way I see it, me and Matteo work on RESTful together. So RESTful 1.x, this is the Yamitai approach, and RESTful 2.x is the Matteo approach. Both are valid. One is, let's get shit done. Other is, hey, let's do all the hierarchy and everything and get shit done. And this is, and this is Matteo. The only reason we're not using 2.x, I struggled in making, like, uh, connecting it to headless stuff. And in the end, I just couldn't be bothered again. I just looked at what am I earning? 2.x has some nice features. I just don't need them, right? And this is really what I'm looking at Drupal. And I'm saying yeah. so many things I just don't need. Views, it's beautiful. I'm using it for admin stuff. I never put it on the front end. I just don't need it. I don't want to do all the theme override. I just want to build things the way I want uh, to build them. So I'm not against Drupal 8. I'm, I, I look at myself as a good Drupal citizen you know, contributing, uh, documenting, yeah, and so on and so forth. But in the end, for me personally, when I'm looking at an entrepreneur project, for example, I will either go with Drupal 7 because you cannot erase the idea of mastery, that we master completely Drupal 7 and we can do whatever that we want. Along the fact that, you know, Drupal 8 what just wouldn't be that different for me for specific cases. Maybe for, you know, content workflow and stuff like that. Yeah, I would go with Drupal 8 because it's more mature. But if I'm looking at headless stuff, like that I need to serve things really quickly and the CMS part isn't very strong, it's more like an application, I'd go with Haskell, which we haven't done so yet from budgetary reasons. Right. I want to invest in the right project in the right side because I know that starting something new has a cost and I want to do it on the right time. And in some ways that's the, like, you know, there's a, there's a certain momentum about, you know, and, and for, for all the right reasons, right? Like um, the Drupal community wants to, push Drupal 8 and, and for lots of good reasons there were investments and in, you know increasing the number of, of, of modules in the con contrib space and you know th that's all great but it's like only half of the problem and when I hear you talk about that one of the things that I think always gets lost in the conversation about Drupal 7 Drupal 8 is the specific use case like you know 
you hear people, I, I went to a, a nonprofit technology, N10 conference um, last year, and you know, every organization there was asking, when's the right time for me to upgrade to Drupal 8? And that's just like not the right question. The question is, How's your site working and yeah. what do you need? And, you know, then let's talk about, you know, when to, there will at some point come a time where, you know, end of life, yeah. um, but yeah. it's, it's not, it's not there yet. And then with, with some of the builds, you know, one project that I've recently been involved with that we sort of inherited, it was clear that this, this project was just built in Drupal 8 because we wanted to build something in the latest and, and greatest. It didn't have any of the things ready yeah you know for for production and um it's suffering a little bit because of it it's a fairly simple site so it's not that big of a deal and it'll it'll live and the site will do all the things that, yeah. that it needs but it it it, it, the, it day one it didn't answer the simple question what do you need exactly and uh, we've actually taken it further in gizra you know because you're you're asking those questions as well when people come and ask you uh, which, uh, you know, which Drupal should I use to build my site? Oftentimes our answer back or question back, sorry, is why do you need a site? Right. That's like, we start there. Why do you need it? And then it completely removes all the techn technological questioning. Do I need Drupal 8 or Drupal 7? Why do you need a fucking site? <laughs> like, Show me how much you're, how much you're gonna spend, pardon my French, how, how much you wanna spend and how much money you're gonna get. Or, you know, if it's not money, if it's about brand, how much, how much you're gonna earn and how you're gonna, you know, measure it. This is, this is where we start when we ask the question. And suddenly it makes all the conversation so much interesting. Because suddenly we're not talking about a rewrite from Drupal 7 called Drupal 8 with all the risks that comes with that. We're talking about, you actually just need a tiny Elm application that will add fancy stuff like you've done, uh, Adam, in JEP, which, you know, they have a Drupal 7 site. There's no reason in our doing a complete rewrite. It's going to cost them a fortune. Again, looking at the books of, you know, what am I spending? What am I getting? Nobody will see nothing. And rebuilding sites is always so stressful for the client, for the company. Everybody is losing from that. Sometimes you really must do that. But oftentimes you can say, you know what? I understand your specific use case. Sure. Let me go with some new technology called Elm. I'm going to put it inside. We're going to have some fancy UI interaction. It's going to talk with your existing Drupal 7 stuff, we're, you know, maybe gonna clean some parts to make it work. And suddenly the client is getting exactly what they need for a friction of the money that they would pay for a complete rewrite that they, they just wouldn't get whatever they need. And even if they did, it would have taken nine months down the line yeah. instead of one month. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think why do you need a site is a good place to end. Uh, if, any, if anybody's still uh, still listening, that's a that's a that's a good point to end on, and we can talk uh, next week or whenever our our next session is going to be about uh, about rewrites versus rebuilds and things like that because that's an interesting subject as well. I agree, and just to be fair, there were a few people that asked a few questions in Twitter, and we'll definitely address them. 
in our next episode <laughs> talking about the clickbait. Dis distributed companies. Um, what was the other one we had? Uh... Yeah, there were a few about uh, different things that I wish I'd learned and distributed uh, companies, how we make people uh, feel more included, inclusive. We'll touch those. I mean, we like speaking, right? Very good. Well, good to talk to you today. Awesome, Adam. Okay, so here's the tune. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bye -bye. Bye -bye. Cheers. I, I vow 